Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. Now, uh, regular listeners probably know that maybe my favorite thing to talk about on this show is failure, because, you know, we do deal in scripts that have quote-unquote Failed. So I had a really interesting uh, text exchange with a writer friend of mine last night. Not about writing, actually about the band Big Star. A lot of you probably know Big Star. If you don't, they're a Memphis band, made three amazing albums in the 70s uh, that became cult classics. Huge influences on bands like R.E.M. and Teenage Fan Club. And uh, Alex Chilton, one of the founders, songwriters, singers in the band, he'd been in the box tops when he was just a kid, 15 or 16, sang The Letter, uh, number one hit. You might know the Joe Cocker version better, but it is a box top song. So he had tasted fame early on, but in a kind of prepackaged way that he really hated. And so with Big Star, he got to really express himself, make his masterpieces uh, with his co-founder, Chris Bell, another genius who uh, Chris Bell died young. That's a whole other story. But back to Alex Chilton, he made these amazing records uh, and they bombed. They really they didn't sell. Um, So they would have been considered at the time failures now considered classics. But uh, so after Big Star, he he made a lot of kind of strange records. There's some great stuff. There's some really just weird things. Um, and so in this text exchange, I was sort of saying, you know, after Big Star failed, it seemed to me that Alex Chilton decided, you know, fuck it. You know, I'm I'm just going to, you know, commercial success is so random. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm just going to be a pure artist and take big creative leaps and do whatever I want and not care. And my friend's take was that, no, what Alex Chilton did after Big Star was to be self-protective and kind of cynical. You know, he didn't want to really try so hard again uh, because he didn't want to feel that crushing disappointment. So there's kind of the question we all face when we have any kind of big failure. You know, do we... Do we just decide, you know what, I'm just going to you know, still take big swings and, and, and try things? Or do we protect ourselves and be careful and not put our full creative selves out on the line again? Because we're, we're worried that we're going to get smacked down again. Um, I don't know. You know, uh, it's uh, go queue up Big Star's Radio City record and think about it. Think about how you've dealt with those those failures in your life. So our pilot this time is Arab Spring by Ed Weeks and Mina Dimian. Uh, it's about Hassan Youssef, the host of a popular Arab talk show who gets fired and moves from Dubai to New York, where he drives for a rideshare company while working towards his comeback. Now, you may know Ed and Mina both better as performers than writers. Uh, Mina is a stand-up. 
And as we discussed in their interview, he was one of the hosts of what was basically the Arab version of The View. Uh, Ed Weeks was one of the stars of The Mindy Project and L.A. to Vegas. But at heart, they're both writers. Uh, full disclosure, I've recently been working with them on a project. I think they're both extremely talented. And the sweet way that they talk about their bromance will warm your cockles at a time when I imagine your cockles need warming. Uh, of course, we had to record this over Zoom instead of live, but we have been putting a video of a lot of these reads uh, on uh, for, up for members. So become a mem- MaxFun member for just $5 a month, and you'll get access to the video, plus all of our bonus content from all of the past years of Dead Pilot Society. It's a bargain. Um, go to MaximumFun.org and check that out. Okay, our cast for this one was Haiti Tabal as Hassan. Haiti's from The Brave. Uh, as Rana from Big Little Lies, Catherine Kavari. As Daniel Greenblatt from Better Things and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and many other things, Kevin Pollack. Uh, as Ruby and the Woman from Blackish, Liz Jenkins. Uh, as Jeannie from Lost and Once Upon a Time, Rebecca Mader. Uh, as Ayub from Brown Nation, Akash Singh. Uh, as Sarah from Host, Radina Drandova. Uh, as Lauren from Fargo and Good Girls, someone who at this point we could really call a Dead Pilot Society regular. The great Allison Tolman. And last but certainly not least, as the corporate guy and the cute kid and the Bedouin and the zookeeper and the older man from the Venture Brothers and Thrilling Adventure Hour and his own podcast, Hal Lublin. All right, that was our cast. So here is Arab Spring after a brief message. I, I can remember as, as a child thinking it was odd that here was this can full of meat. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week on my show, Bullseye, David Letterman on shame, regret, and canned hams. Is this the best delivery version of, of pork? That's this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This is Arab Spring. The pilot, American Girl, written by Mina Dimian and Ed Weeks. Act one, we fade in. We're in a TV studio in Dubai. It's a flashback. Note that in all these Middle East flashbacks, the on-air dialogue would be in Arabic with English subtitles. A garish Middle Eastern talk show set, neon lettering spells out the show's title in Arabic, The Big Night with Hassan Youssef. Cheesy Arab pop music plays. A typical Arab studio audience of veiled women and bearded men applaud. In the midst of it all, our host, Hassan Youssef, Egyptian and handsome, is signing off. Thank you so much to my guests, Zahra Arafat, my boss, Prince Khalil, and Yola Tango. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was our big night until tomorrow. Hassan waves and walks off through the curtains. A caption reads, Dubai, 2009. A continuous shot follows Hassan backstage to the monitors, where his female producer, Rana, a lean firebrand, waits. Hassan, we need to... Good night, Rana. We continue to follow Hassan as he hands his jacket to a pretty assistant and takes a different one from an equally pretty assistant. He pushes open the exit doors and steps into the warm Dubai night. Immediately, a chorus of flashing bulbs. A security guard holds back an excited crowd while Hassan calmly lights a cigarette. I have a filthy habit. Do forgive me. 
The fans go wild. Hassan glides through the crowd, signing autographs and taking photos with excitable veiled women brandishing smartphones. Finally, the security guard pushes back the crowd, allowing Hassan to step into the backseat of a waiting town car. We match cut with the present day. The driver turns from the front seat. It is an older Hassan, now with facial scruff, pale and uniformed. It's five years later. He speaks English a touch too formally with a slight Egyptian accent. Where to? Getting into the back seat are his passengers, a tipsy corporate guy and his pissed looking girlfriend holding a smartphone. Took you long enough. We had to text you three times. Stop it, Greg. Uh, Broadway and fourth, please. The corporate guy looks annoyed. Hassan drives off. The guy takes his girlfriend's smartphone and peers at her rider app. This is an app very similar to Uber. A photo of their driver, Hassan, 4.8 stars, along with Hassan's cell number. Hassan, right? Yes. 4.8 stars. <laughs> it's impressive. Guess you want to keep that up? I would like that, yes. Oh, hey, man. The AC doesn't seem to be working. Might have to dock you a star for that. Okay, Greg, can we just... No, honey, it... no. That's why we rate these guys, to help them be better. Why don't you open the window? Whoa, now, Haas, I don't really care for your tone. I'm going to have to dock you another star. You're down to two. Hope you don't lose any more. Hassan irritably switches the radio on. Don't like the way you turned on that radio, Hassan. It was very sarcastic. And you know what that means. <laughs> Uh-oh. The girl snatches her smartphone back. Just here is fine. Uh, on the left. The car pulls up. The corporate guy leans over and slaps Hassan on the back. Hey, keep winning. Okay. <laughs> the girlfriend makes an apologetic face at Hassan. She and the corporate guy exit. As Hassan drives off, his phone dings. It's a text. My boyfriend is a dick. Then another. This is my number. Hassan rolls his eyes and lights a cigarette. As he edges his way back into rush hour traffic, we widen to a panoramic shot of the Manhattan skyline. The caption, New York City, present day. And we roll opening credits. We're in an office downtown. Hassan sits in a drab office speaking to someone off screen. He wears a bulky jacket. It's tense. You're shaking. Is it the explosive I have strapped to my chest? Are you afraid to die? Because I am not. I welcome it. The suffering I've seen, the shame, all at your hand. What waits for me is paradise. What waits for you? He opens his jacket. And that's when I would press the button. Hassan, I'm really impressed. We reveal Jeannie, Aquiline and Brisk, a casting director. Daniel was right about you. You are very talented. Thank you. Where are you from, Hassan? Uh, Egypt, originally. That's a sexy accent. She walks over to him. You've got beautiful olive skin. She leans down to touch his beard. I like this. Her hand stays on his face. She lowers herself slightly so she is astride one of his legs. 
Thank, thank you for, for taking the time to see me. I'd like to help you out, Hassan. Yeah, that's very generous. Jeannie begins to rock slowly back and forth against Hassan's knee. Hassan is motionless. See, the director's a close friend. I actually introduced him to his wife. She's pushing down harder on Hassan's knee. They say it's who you know in this business, but I mean, there's more to it. Talent, of course, helps a unique look, but really it's about commitment. You have to stick with it. She now jerks freely, forcefully on Hassan's leg. Hassan is frozen, unable to speak. Suddenly she stops, straightens her hair, dismounts. Well, we'll let you know. She returns to her desk and busies herself with her computer. Hassan exits awkwardly. We're in Hassan's apartment in Jersey City. We pan slowly across this small, threadbare studio apartment. Piles of home-recorded talk shows on VHS everywhere, labeled Carson, 83 to 87, Letterman, 96 to 99, etc. Hassan watches an old tape of his talk show, The Big Night with Hassan Youssef. He's interviewing a zoologist who holds a python. And she's uh, got a familiar look in her eyes. <laughs> Have you been talking to my ex-girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> you know, one bite from this python could take down an elephant. What would it do to a skinny talk show host? <laughs> Laughter from the studio audience. In the present, Hassan's phone rings. Irritated, he pauses the tape and answers. On the other end of the line is Daniel Greenblatt, a schlubby, washed-up, old-school Jewish agent smoking a cigarette. Hey, Vagina, what are you doing? Um, nothing. Uh, watching some old videos. Yeah, well, put your dick away and get dressed. We're going out. Why? We widen to reveal that Daniel is sitting on the toilet. The racing pages of the New York Post protecting his modesty. There are framed headshots of past clients on the wall behind him, dry cleaner style. Our anniversary, that's why. Oh, my God. It's, it's been a year? <laughs> the Imperial 8 o'clock, boys' night. Uh, listen, uh, Daniel... About the audition. Oh, yeah. I talked to Jeannie. They're going another way. What? He didn't book it, Hass. What can I say? But she, she masturbated on me. On you? She sat on my knee and achieved climax with it. She intimidated. She would talk to the, she intimated she would talk to the director. Holy shit. What did you do? Nothing. I, I did nothing. I didn't want to offend her. You didn't what? <laughs> Jesus, Haas. Next time a casting director starts humping your leg, you stick it in. Okay, that's a little... Show some initiative. At the very least, you'll get a call back. Call back for what? I, I didn't even want the job. Where are the talk show auditions you promised, Daniel? You don't just walk off the boat on the late night. You're not Craig Ferguson. Anyways, I gotta go. Something's coming through. Another call? No! Daniel hangs up. Hassan sighs and restarts the video. We go to a bar in Chelsea. Daniel, dressed in a dated leisure suit, stands at the bar, draining a whiskey. Hassan pushes through the crowd. There he is! I see you've gotten started. Daniel slides Hassan a drink. He tastes it. Oh, that's optimistic. Daniel raises his glass. So your first year in America. Thanks, Daniel. You know... This boy's night will be good. They clink. Daniel notices someone across the bar. Holy shit, is that Ruby? Wait here. 
He rushes off. Hassan sighs, of course. He signals to the bartender. Oh, whatever the opposite of this is, please. As his new drink is mixed, Hassan idly scans the bar. His gaze rests upon a sexy Mediterranean woman. Wow. The woman meets Hassan's eyes. Hassan nervously looks away, then back. She's still looking at him. Here we go. Hassan smiles. The woman smiles. Hassan comically raises one eyebrow. The woman laughs, showing off her perfect teeth and lips. She flips back her dark, lustrous hair flirtatiously, holds Hassan's gaze. Oh my God. Hey. Hassan turns around. A punky girl, Lauren, is aggressively tugging at his sleeve. Make out with me. Excuse me? Come on, just do me a favor. This guy's been hassling me all night. I want him to think I have a boyfriend. It's just, I don't really. Oh God, here he comes. She grabs Hassan and begins to kiss him. From across the bar, the sexy Mediterranean woman watches them. Okay, I think he's gone. Hassan looks around. His sexy Mediterranean woman also appears to be gone. Shit. Uh, uh, this is kind of belated, but I, I'm Hassan. Hey, Hassan. I'm Lauren. You know what that douchebag said to me? He said he wanted to get all up in that big, creamy ass. That's pretty bold, right? You're thinking about my big, creamy ass, aren't you? I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't curious. I have a question, though. Out of everyone in the bar, why did you choose me? You looked safe. Safe? Unthreatening. To be honest, you looked a little lost. Insecure. Okay. Frightened. Naive. Well, I'm new to this. <laughs> new to what? All this uh, public sexual assault. <laughs> Daniel comes bounding over with Ruby, loud, trashy, and plastic, in tow. I leave you for one minute, and you're tonguing some hottie at the bar. Daniel, by the way. Lauren. This is the famous Ruby Fox. The H is silent. <laughs> He's crazy. I'm not famous. Come on, you were in that white snake video. <laughs> okay, I was the one in the white jeans. <laughs> Now, listen, kids, Ruby's getting tired of this joint, so we're thinking about changing scenery. I can promise you the best view in Manhattan. Lauren, are you in? Well, my friend did ditch me because apparently she's never seen a fedora before. <laughs> ah, fuck it. You guys seem fun. Just let me settle up. I'll meet you outside. Uh, I'll wait for you. Daniel and Ruby go to get a cab. Hassan leans in closer to Lauren. So, Ruby. Wow. She was in a white snake video, you know? Well, she certainly looks like she's been in a video. Hassan laughs, touches her arm. Oh, just to let you know, I'm not going to sleep with you. I'm sorry? Well, I know we made out, but nothing's going to happen. So am I still invited? Hassan stares at her numbly. What choice does he have? Of course. Lauren heads off towards the exit. Hassan traipses after her. He's suddenly intercepted by the sexy Mediterranean woman. Hi. Oh, uh, hi. You know, um, it's a shame you're not single. Right. Uh, the, the thing about that is... Uh, Us! Taxi here! Hassan hesitates. Taxi! Wala the sexy woman smiles and walks away. Hassan sighs and follows Daniel out, regretting every step. Fuck. End of act one. 
It's act two. We're in the TV studio in Dubai in 2009. We fade in on laughter and applause from the studio audience. That night's episode of The Big Night with Hassan Youssef is being taped. Hassan is mid-monologue. Dating is weird in our country. Weird? Well, like, it's expensive. You've got to find a great restaurant, pay for her, her brother, her second cousin. <laughs> laughter from the studio audience. Then the wedding is expensive. And when it's time to stone her for sleeping with the doorman, who do you think pays for the stones? Well, like you do. <laughs> There's more laughter, but also some shocked gasps and hisses. A bearded older man gets to his feet and starts yelling at Hassan. Shame. You have no respect. This show is sinful. Infidels. Some younger audience members try to shut him up. They, in turn, are restrained by older religious types. A brouhaha breaks out. Blows are thrown. Security piles in. Rana, call me when this is dealt with. I'm getting a coffee. And he saunters off stage. Back in Daniel's office in the present day, there's laughter from outside the darkened office. A key jiggles erratically. In bursts Daniel, Ruby, Lauren, and Hassan. Hassan turns the light on. It is suddenly very bright. Whoa, whoa, easy. Like a seasoned pro, Daniel turns the light off, grabs a sweater, and throws it over a lamp, creating a more muted vibe. Is this where you work? I work. <laughs> now, if my dusky houseboy would come help me fix drinks. Seriously? Hassan grumpily follows Daniel into the bathroom. Daniel, in the bathroom, Daniel hurriedly rinses some cups in the sink. This is crusted on. Hand me the Purell. I might leave, Daniel. Are you out of your mind? We got girls out there. Do we? Daniel pulls a cloudy whiskey bottle out of a mini fridge under the sink. Okay. What's eating your sandy ass? You were weird the whole cab ride. I left a beautiful woman in that bar, Daniel. She was looking at me in a way that no one's looked at me since, well, since I wasn't a taxi driver. Don't sell yourself short. You're also a dildo for a middle-aged Jewish woman. Too soon? Well, so what? Lawrence here, she's healthy. I know you like that. She's already said she is not going to sleep with me. That means you're in. Let me tell you something about women. They want you to have all the fun without any of the responsibility. Is this a direct quote from the Torah or? Come on, you know this. You've slept with American girls. Jesus Christ, has. it's been a year. Intimidating, all right? Jeannie, Lauren, they all act like men. You're overthinking it. The fact that Lauren said she's not going to fuck you means that she's thinking about fucking you. Dance the dance. Charm her with your snake. My snake is tired. I've got just the thing. Back in the main area of Daniel's office, people sit around drinking. Daniel clears a space on his desk. Now, Daddy Greenblatt has procured a little treat for the evening. Daniel retrieves a large Ziploc bag from his desk. It has a small amount of powder in the bottom corner. It's cocaine. Yummy. Pass. Go to the uh, petty cash there. If there were, aren't, aren't, if there are no ones, bring a five. Way ahead of you. Ruby has already pulled out a straw from her bag. Daniel mouths white snake to Hassan. That's very generous, but I think I'll pass. Daniel nudges Hassan. Hassan does a face like, got it. Your friend just 
nudged you? Probably the, the Parkinson's. I'll do some if you do. Or are you too safe? Oh, that is low. Arabs, sneaky people. Okay, hotshot. Let's party like it's 1987. Daniel chops out lines. Hassan and Lauren peer over the desk. After you. Please, after you. And they snort at the same time. Daniel reacts, that's my boy. We move into a series of jump cuts. Ruby recreates some dance moves from her White Snake video to the group's delight. Lauren and Hassan are in the corner together. She laughs at something on his phone. <laughs> this is your profile picture? Me that. We follow a bottle as, as it is passed from partygoer to partygoer. Daniel's holding court, his arm around Hassan. So he never even spoke it, and he sends me this tape on VHS, by the way. The common format over there. And I see him interviewing this little kid with a fake beard. It was like a bit. And I find out this guy's the Arab Conan. Four million views a night. And I don't understand a fucking word he's saying. I don't understand a word I say. What was that? <laughs> the girls burst out laughing. Everyone's drinking, especially Ruby. Hassan and Daniel sit on the couch, racking up more lines of coke, watching the girls dance. I'll tell you, buddy, this is it. This is the year. Are you just saying that because of the coke? Fuck that. Listen to me. I've believed in you from the beginning. You're going to get that talk show. And once America falls in love with you, they're never going to stop coming back for more. Yeah. And they both snort a line of coke. You know what? I feel America could love me. I feel good. This is the year. You'll see. No more Danny Greenblatt has been. Now people are going to say, there's Daniel Greenblatt, super agent, entrepreneur. Is that a custom paint job on his Buick? You bet your fucking ass it is. And that's his client, Hassan Youssef? Lauren passes by. She mimes cigarette at Hassan. Daniel nudges Hassan. In for the kill. Hassan steals himself and follows Lauren out. We go to the fire escape. The view of the Manhattan skyline from here is breathtaking. It twinkles and glimmers in the cold night sky. Wow. Your friend wasn't kidding. Hassan takes out two cigarettes. He lights them both, passes one to Lauren. They stand in silence for a moment, smoking. You were right about me, you know. I was? About me being frightened? I don't know when it happened. Hmm. New York can be scary. Yes. That's what I loved about it. The noise, the chaos, the possibility. Everything in Dubai was controlled and rationed. But here, Whatever you can take from this rotting, beautiful place, that's yours. You keep that. Uh, I don't know. I guess I, I became cautious, afraid to lose when I should have been playing to win. He takes a last determined drag on his cigarette, burning it to the filter. Look at this city. <laughs> it's indifferent to me. It, it doesn't care what I do. And that's freedom, the courage to live. He turns back to Lauren, who has been watching him. Wordlessly, he grabs her, pushes her against the rail, brings his face close to hers. Hassan. But he doesn't move. She takes him in, the newfound steel in his eyes, and he kisses her. 
We smash cut to Lauren's bedroom. Hassan and Lauren get hot and heavy on her bed. You have a condom? No. I don't have one. Don't worry about it. As they begin to have sex, we fade to a dream sequence. We're in Hassan's town car. Hassan in his rider uniform drives his town car, and suddenly the engine starts stuttering before coming to a stop. We angle on the fuel gauge, empty. We're in the Arabian desert. He exits his car to discover he's in the middle of a wide, desolate desert. Out of options, he lies back on the hood of the car. From Hassan's POV, we notice vultures circling above. So... What do you have on your show tonight? Hassan blinks and turns his head. The voice belongs to a Bedouin on a horse waiting nearby. Uh, 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 I don't remember. Nah, it doesn't matter. Looks like you're not going to make it back anyway. We follow his gaze back up to the vultures, circling closer and closer. Back in Lauren's apartment, Hassan wakes up with a start. He's lying face down naked on Lauren's bed. Lauren, wearing Hassan's button down, smiles at him. It's a beautiful New York morning. Morning, sleepyhead. Mm, oh, no. <laughs> you drooled all over the pillow. What, what time is it? Early. Hassan flips over onto his back. Let me look at you. He starts kissing her. She responds warmly before pulling away. <laughs> My breath. You taste great. Let me make coffee. Coffee? Coffee. And she exits to the kitchen. Hassan heaves himself out of bed and stretches. He grabs a bottle of water and downs it. He feels great. He lights a cigarette and checks out his body in the mirror. Not bad. He notices some photos stuck around the edge of the mirror. Takes a closer look. It's Lauren at various parties, surrounded by girlfriends, all dressed revealingly. Lauren, surrounded by grinning men. Hassan focuses on one in particular, Lauren in a hot tub, flanked by what appears to be a college football team. Lots of wandering hands in this photo. Huh. His curiosity peaked, Hassan starts to snoop around. Opening drawers, he discovers one filled with sex toys. Huh. Coffee! Hassan turns quickly, guiltily, gathering his things. You know what? I really... Oh, I have to work. Um, okay. And on a midtown street later, Hassan is at a halal hot dog stand manned by his friend Ayub. A Pakistani wears a Muslim prayer cap and speaks like a fast-talking black guy. You fucked a white girl? That's some baller shit. Keep it down, Ayub. What was it like? Did she taste like strawberries? I heard they taste like strawberries. It was fine. The, the only thing was... No, it doesn't matter. What? Did she get dirty? Kind of. How dirty? Feet? No, she what? What? The thing is, it's totally fine. She, she, she didn't make me, I didn't wear a condom. Well, back up, back up. You trying to tell me you fucked a white girl without a rubber? Those girls got all the diseases, son. That shit is not halal. You, that's a little... Honest? She was very pleasant. You would have liked her. She make all the moves? No. Maybe White girls are aggressive, man. They know what they want, and what they want is dick. They ain't like the nice girls we grew up with, nice Muslim girls. Them girls were clean. White girls are clean. In between getting AIDS, they are. You want onions? Hassan shakes his head. Ayub hands him his hot dog. Thanks. 
As Hassan walks away, Ayub calls out after him. There's a reason we put these in a bun. And we flash back to the TV studio. As Hassan arrives at work for the day, he is beset by crowds of protesters, angry men and women in headscarves, hijabs, and burqas, yell and wave signs in Arabic. Muslims, Muslims against Hassan. Allah is not laughing. Stop the Western rot. As ever, a faction of the crowd is comprised of fans wanting their fo photo taken with Hassan. Hassan pushes through them all into the studio building. He strolls through the backstage area towards his office. One assistant hands him a coffee, another a light for his cigarette. Rana runs up after him. They walk and talk. You seem very relaxed. Why wouldn't I be? We went up two and a half points last night, and there was a charming welcome committee waiting for me outside. They seemed pretty angry to me. Their blood sugar is probably low, isn't it? Let me take you through what happened after you made your little joke last night. Do. I receive a panicked call from the network saying, and I quote, what does your chimp think he's doing? Charming. Isn't it? Then I receive an email from a man named Anonymous informing me in almost medical detail how he intends to cut off my breasts and suffocate you with your own penis. Suffocate? Flattered. And when I awoke this morning, there were 30 more death threats, nine of them addressed to me personally, and an angry email from the Hotel Armani about several thousand dinars worth of damage you caused. If it's any consolation, Tequila and I are no longer speaking. Hassan, listen to me. Maybe the horny adolescent persona was entertaining once upon a time, but you're at the grown-up grown table now. Are we done here? You know all jokes are meant to go through me. I don't know what you were thinking pulling that crap. It was satire. I was making a cultural observation. Don't pretend you side with the fanatics. I side with the people that keep our show on air. That's bullshit. You should side with me. Rana stops him. I've sided with you for five years, but this is different. I'm worried, Hassan. Rana, no one's going to touch us. They need us. They need someone to make them angry. That's why we're number one. To be number one, we have to be on air. The network sent these guidelines. If I were you, I'd follow them. She hands him a piece of paper. And you should quit those. She takes his cigarette and drops it in his coffee. You don't want to lose those boyish good looks. As she walks away, Hassan calls after her. What happened, Rana? I'm Peter fucking Pan! And that's the end of Act 2. Act 3, we're in the present day in Hassan's town car in Soho. Hassan, looking haggard, pulls up curbside. An affluently dressed woman in her 40s, mid-phone conversation, gets into the car. Rockefeller Center, could you hurry? God, why does it smell like smoke in here? Hassan signals that he doesn't understand. Uh, anyway, sorry, Karen, you were saying? She continues her phone conversation as Hassan pulls away. A bus passes. It is adorned with an advertisement. One in five New Yorkers has an STD. Worried, Hassan pulls his phone out and starts Googling surreptitiously. As his passenger continues yammering, we angle on Hassan's Google search. No condom one time. She doesn't listen to me. This is exactly what happened last year with the Furman account. Hassan is dividing his attention between the road and his phone. We see him Google some more. Cocaine increased risk STD. America sexual health. They're making us look bad. Then we have to answer to Connor. This is not right, Karen. 
Hassan is starting to panic. He passes a huge billboard featuring an innocent-looking white girl. The slogan reads, anyone can get HIV. Karen, go see a doctor. What do you mean you don't have insurance? You're a 33-year-old woman living in Manhattan. Could you hurry, please? Hassan, struggling to concentrate, presses down on the accelerator. Now, is it his imagination? Another ad, this time with the slogan, Hassan Youssef, you have AIDS. He reacts in terror. Then suddenly, crunch, he has rear-ended the car in front of him. Through Hassan's windshield, we see the car's bumper sticker, God bless America. Shit. What the hell is wrong with you? Do you realize I have 15 minutes to get to this meeting? There's a knock at Hassan's window. It is the driver of the car in front, an angry white guy. Hassan sheepishly lowers the window. The driver peers at him accusingly. Of course. The woman grimaces sympathetically at the driver. We go to Daniel's office in Midtown. Daniel sprawled out over the couch, wet cloth on his head, his little bare feet suspended on a pile of pillows. The office is a trash-strewn disaster from last night. Bustling around him, picking up empty bottles, is his daughter and secretary, Sarah. You know, Dad, when you turned 60, I assumed that was the end of the shit. The bottles clank together in her hands. Daniel winces. Honey, could you just... Sarah shoots him a murderous stare. Never mind. Hassan bursts in, panicked, scratching his arm compulsively. Why is the universe shouting at me? Jesus, Haas, you look like shit. I crashed the car. Oh my God, are you okay? She rushes up to him. Hassan waves her back. Don't, don't get too close. I could be contagious. What are you talking about? I went home with Lauren last night. We had sex with each other. We didn't use protection. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Who's Lauren? The girl from last night. The friend of Whitesnake. Jesus, that was fast. It was fast. It was too fast. Wow. So Little House had sex in the big city. <laughs> I never knew you had it in you. Well, now I might have AIDS in me. But you don't just get AIDS, idiot. <laughs> what makes you think she gave you anything? She, she, she was, uh, how do I put this? White. So? You know, they're known to be overly sexually confident. Go on. Listen, she kissed me, took me back to her place, had sex on me. She's assertive. What, are you going to chop off one of her hands now? No, there's more. She, she had photos all around the mirror. Men, countless men of... Varying ethnicities. Daniel nods knowingly. I can't believe I'm hearing this. If you had seen what I had seen, she she had a a drawer full of tools. Don't she enjoy sex? And what, she automatically has AIDS? Holy shit, Hassan, this is low, even for you. Tell him, baby. You too, Dad. Honestly, both of you. A woman is allowed to have sex with who she wants, when she wants. And if you were too stupid not to rub her up, well, that's on you, Has. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to clean whatever the fuck is in that bathroom. She moves away. Hassan and Daniel lower their voices. I blame you for that. Just go with it. Did you know that five in one New Yorkers has an STD? I don't think you're doing that math right, Has. Stop being paranoid. You're just coming down from the coke. Allah is punishing me. Oh, please. You're only Muslim when it's convenient. Exactly. That's why he's punishing me. 
I had a dream, Daniel, that then there were the billboards. And and look, I have a rash. You call that a rash? I'll show you a rash. It'll stop your heart. It's one of the symptoms of AIDS. I researched it with Google. Get out of here. It's probably a food allergy. You eat anything weird today? I uh, had a hot dog earlier, but it was halal. That's worse. Sarah walks back over. Also, why is it always the woman who's a slut? What about you? How does she know you didn't give her something? The girls I associated with back home were moral. There wasn't this free and easy hedonism that you have in the West. Do you realize how hypocritical you sound? I must get tested. Ah, no point. <laughs> Three month incubated period for the HIV virus. The antibodies won't have appeared yet. Hassan and Sarah stare at him. What? I saw in a documentary. Look, here's what you do. You call her up, take her out to a nice place, and you talk to her. Be direct. Ask her if she has AIDS. I mean, don't open with it. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually agree with Dad. Talk to her. Yes, it is my only choice. It's a shame. <laughs> I think she liked me. Hassan heads out, determined. Sarah starts to wipe down the desk. Is this Coke? And we flash back to the TV studio. Hassan is mid-show. A band has just finished playing to applause. Yo, la tango, everybody. <laughs> so, um, as you might know, there's been some controversy with my jokes recently. Some uneasy laughter. We angle on Rana at the monitors. She looks alarmed. What is going on? Why isn't he cutting to commercial? And we angle on Hassan. Thankfully, the network has provided me with a list of guidelines and to go through them. Please welcome the president of the network, my boss, Prince Khalil bin Khalid. <laughs> a small, cute kid walks through the curtains. He's in full Arab garb with a painted on beard. Uproarious laughter and applause from the studio audience. We angle on Rana. Oh, no. Back on Hassan. Please, your majesty, <clears throat> take a seat. The kid tries and fails to get up onto the couch. Hassan picks him up and puts him there. The audience lets out an awe. So, Prince Khalil, you have the list. Please take us through the items. The kid reads falteringly from a piece of paper. One, the host shall not be belit, bel, be belit, belittle, belittle. Belittle the network. Executives. Executives or the royal family in charge of the network. I would never do anything like that. <laughs> Laughter from the audience. Thank you. You're welcome. The audience goes nuts. We're on Rana. What do you mean you can't cut... What do you mean you can't cut the feed? Exasperated, she pulls her headset off. Angle on her monitor. You know, this is my first talk show. Hassan and the audience are in hysterics. We're back in the diner in Union Square in the present day. Hassan sits nervously at a booth for two. He arranges the silverware, rearranges it, checks his phone. An elderly couple is being seated at the booth next to him. When the hostess leaves, the man moves from opposite his wife to next to her. She kisses him. It's romantic. It makes Hassan feel even worse. Lauren enters. 
Oh, you went ironic retro diner. I approve. Hassan stands to greet her. Hello. They kiss and she sits down. My hangover will accept pancakes and nothing less. Belt pancakes? That sounds like a scam. I'm sorry for running out earlier. You had to work. I get it. Luckily, I can't be late for being unemployed, so. Well, uh, last night was really crazy. The drink, the drugs, I was pretty messed up. Yeah, me too. I'm not normally like that. What are you like? I don't know. Chill. How chill? You know, I have fun, but I don't go too crazy. I just got out of a relationship, so. Really? Uh, how long did that last? Three years. <sighs> but it didn't work out. I guess I just like partying too much. Oh. You were a, a first, though. First uh, Arab? Uh, actually, yeah. What's with all the questions? You're right. You're right. I apologize. I am feeling most, uh, how do you say, like my string is out? You're probably just coming down. Yes, that, uh, that must be it. <clears throat> do you have a lot of experience with drugs? That's a weird question. I guess uh, no more than normal. Intravenous? Okay. All right. What the hell is going on? Lauren, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but since uh, we were intimate last night... A waitress approaches to take their order. I worry that you might have given me AIDS. The waitress immediately leaves. Excuse me? Hassan tries to quiet her. You think I gave you AIDS? Not deliberately. I don't have AIDS, Hassan. No, 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 no. You're right. Of course. Of course. One of the lesser venereals. Lauren gathers her things angrily. You know what? When you called me, I was excited. And I never get excited. I thought, finally, I found a guy that I can vibe with. I guess I was wrong. She turns to leave, then turns back. And by the way... You're only the third person I've ever slept with. And the other two were women. She leaves. Hassan is left alone. He stares dumbly into space. The sound of applause rolls in. And we crossfade to the TV studio in Dubai. Hassan is on stage wrapping up his talk show. Cheesy Arab pop music plays. We now realize this is exactly where we started in the cold open. Thank you so much to my guests, Zahra Arafat, my boss, Prince Khalil, and Yola Tango. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was our big night. See you tomorrow. Hassan waves and walks off through the curtains. A continuous shot follows him backstage to the monitors where Rana waits. Hassan, we need to... Good night, Rana. This time, instead of following Hassan out to his car, we stay with Rana. She watches Hassan leave before making her way to her office. In her office, Rana opens the door to reveal Prince Khalil bin Khalid, 45, bearded in traditional Arab garb, the real-life president of the network. The office is dark. Prince Khalil is watching the live feed from a monitor on the wall. Sweet boy. Quite the likeness. But you could have done a better job with the beard. He clicks the monitor off. 
Prince Khalil, if you let me explain. All you do is explain, Rana. What about the actions? I showed him the guidelines. I even pretended there were death threats. Do you know why people respect me? Because I have vision. It was I who persuaded my father to start this network. He didn't understand the power of media to shape the perception of us as a family. Hassan is abusing that power. He doesn't understand. That power is not his. It is merely loaned to him. Hassan is young. He's arrogant. We're doing great in the ratings. It's just gone to his head. Let me talk to him again. Of course, you're the producer. You must do what you think is best. But consider this, Rana. If you can't control him, I'll have to find someone who can. He opens the door to exit, then turns back. Maybe Hassan would work better under a man? Interesting thought. Don't work too late. He leaves. Rana is left alone. She walks over to the window and lights a cigarette. We follow her gaze over the glittering Dubai skyline. In the distance, a massive billboard. We move, we move closer. It is of Hassan's grinning, prosperous face. Rana takes a long, angry drag of her cigarette and snaps the shades closed. Cut to black. End of show. Dead Pilot Society is brought to you in part by Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Um, I've uh, talked about HelloFresh on the show in the past. Well, Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, so they can offer a wider array of meal plans to choose from. So I will say I made a Green Chef meal tonight uh, for dinner, and it was delicious and so easy. It was a peanut udon noodle bowl <clears throat> with a bunch of veggies, uh, gr- delicious sauce. Everything's really smartly and environment comes in very environmentally friendly packaging. You know, there's a bit of chopping and assembling. There's some sautéing. But even if you're not a great cook, I'm telling you, these meals are not hard to make, and they are delicious. Uh, I'm looking forward to my next couple. There's a squash and farro power bowl and a mole roasted carrot bowl these are just fresh delicious meals and they've got all kinds of plans if you're eating paleo if you're eating keto uh, i went for the plant-powered you know vegetarian uh one but you know there's there's so many choices the recipes come with really easy to follow step-by-step instructions with chef tips there's photos to guide you along i really don't think you could mess these up. And if you change your mind and you want to switch up your meal plan whenever you're ready, you know, you want to try a new way to eat for a little bit, it's easy to do with Green Chef. Uh, Look, we've all been cooking for months now, stuck in whatever stage of quarantine or lockdown we've been. We're all tired of our own recipes, right? We want something fresh and new, someone to tell us, okay, here's here's what you're going to make tonight. I like not having to decide. Uh, even though there's choices, I like at least having that narrowed down. Uh, this is really, it's a great service. I'm telling you, you know, what I've tried so far is delicious. And you can go to greenchef.com slash deadpilots90 and use deadpilots, the code deadpilots90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. So that's greenchef.com slash deadpilots90 and code deadpilots90 for $90 off. Give it a try. These meals are great. They're healthy. They're easy. And uh, let's, you know, shake it up. Shake up your meals a bit. Go to greenchef.com. 
Congratulations! You've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to... To talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch catch the wave. Well, great. I'm here with uh, Ed Weeks and Mina Dimian. You guys will be uh, very easy to tell apart. Uh, but why don't you say hello and introduce yourselves? Um, hello, I'm Ed Weeks. I'm an American man of Egyptian descent. Uh, if you can <laughs> help by my accent. <laughs> And I, I am an Egyptian man of English descent. I'm Mina Demian. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Uh, oh my no, gosh. I'm actually just a British man. <laughs> well, not just, not just British. That's all I am. And Mina Mostly is, British. Mostly. Mina is mainly Egyptian. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's start with the elephant in the room, which is the, the vowel sounds that I used in uh, pronouncing the main character's name during the mm. read. Hassan. Yeah, Mina, how would you say his? How would you say your main character's name? Well, I, I, my first language was Arabic, so I, I would probably say the colloquial way, which is Hassan. But I would never suspect, expect anybody to be able to say that from the West. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of a throwaway, and it's such a common name in the Middle East. I was, I was all over the map with my Hassans and Hassans. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever got a Hassan. But uh, every everything else. Um, well, let's let's talk about before we sort of get into your background and everything. I'm just so curious uh, about where this began. I know a little bit more, having um, even though I've you know I, I've I've known Ed for quite some time, and Mina, we've mm-hmm. been working together a bit. But I had not Googled you, Mina, and I learned some some interesting things, and oh, uh, that seem to have some bearing on this on this pilot, but why don't you talk about how this came about? Well, well the pilot is all based on Mina's life, really. Uh, well, not fully, um, you know, really, um, the, the character Hassan's character actually grew up in Egypt and, and he was uh, an Egyptian native, uh, who kind of, uh, climbed the ranks, whatever ranks that w- would be in the middle East to, to become a talk show host um and and found great success uh in my situation it was actually quite different i was i was after college i i kind of started doing stand-up in new york and um you know my my goal and dream was to kind of get past at some clubs and uh, i i worked fairly hard on that and then um before long i started touring colleges and stuff like that and this was right around 2001 right after 9 11 you know a lot of people wanted to hear from middle eastern comedians and that was kind of a, an opportunity, a springboard for that. Um, and then soon after, I got a phone call from a comic who I thought was a rival and turned out to be a really dear friend uh, over the years. And he kind of said, look, I, I have this opportunity for a, uh, a TV show in the Middle East, but my Arabic isn't really strong enough. Do you want to talk to them and see if, if you might be a good fit? And I had, you know, I mean, you're making 600 bucks a show on the road. Uh, and I had no other real, no real recourse. 
So I talked to the producer and he said, look, you know, we're looking for somebody to bring some levity to the program. It's, it's an analog of The View, uh, ABC's The View, and, and we want to do it three men and three women. And we think that you could be kind of the funny guy to do the opening monologue and, you know, do some sketches and stuff like that. And, and uh, he said, do you want to come out and shoot three episodes as a pilot? And I said, sure, you know, but I had no expectations of it. And I was happy to get, you know, a quick payday. And I just, uh, I flew out to Lebanon and we shot it and, and it just, uh, it really just took off from there. I mean, within the first year we shot 40 episodes. And how many years did you do that show? Uh, four and a half. Uh, so we did almost five seasons, uh, before kind of the Arab spring took off and the, the energy kind of shifted a little in television. Um, obviously things were a little bit more, uh, politically driven and, and people weren't really looking for a lot of levity at that time. But, uh, you just, you just said the name of the show, like incidentally in <laughs> response, which I, oh yeah, yeah. but that was all, that was all set up. That was all, all yeah, rehearsed. That was all yeah. rehearsed. Yeah. The show is called uh, Ring Two. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. So, uh, once the show kind of, uh, wrapped up, I, you know, we saw, I started writing with, uh, with Ed a little bit and, and that was kind of my Arab spring to kind of refine my, uh, footing in show business in the West. And at that time, you know, Ed and I were working on a totally different pilot idea uh, when this kind of uh, fell in our lap at Swingers on Melrose, a place that isn't, <laughs> isn't around anymore, sadly. Don't look but, for it. It's uh, coming back. It's coming it, back. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. They're, they're, they're reopening. That's oh, fantastic news. But, but Ed can tell you about, about uh, you know, kind of that conversation and, and how we decided to kind of move forward with it. Well, the irony, of course, was that your American comeback was orchestrated by a foreigner, himself, <laughs> uh, a British man. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I don't even remember what uh, what we were talking about, what sort of show we were trying to trying to get to grips with. And, well, we were trying uh, to do like a buddy comedy on the yes, island, I think Pacific we were, Easy. Yeah. Yes, that was it. Yeah, no need yeah, to uh, yeah to fully go yeah, into. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's, Andrew, it was a buddy comedy. Yeah. Andrew knows us and our penchant for island comedies. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, regardless, uh, you know, Mina was just telling me about this sort of amazing life he'd had, you know, in the, in the Middle East. And, and, and also, I think the important thing was that the pressures that you were under to sort of keep your monologues you know, a little less controversial. I think you were being a little like pro-democratic. Mm -hmm. uh, and Absolutely, I think, and I think uh, that that was sort of met with um, a little resistance, right, from the uh, from those in charge at the network, and that just uh, yeah, it just seems like a, a really fun 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 springboard. And so, you know, once we decided to focus pretty much exclusively on on Nina's autobiography, uh, and you know, add some flourishes here and there, it very quickly gained traction. Uh, we got Craig Ferguson came on board as a as a as a producer, uh, hence his his uh, mentioning in the uh, in the pilot, if you remember, uh, it was like a little cheeky dig at our boss. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it, you know, with him, which he totally loved, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm yeah. sure he adored it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so with him, with him behind us, we, it was very, very smooth. We sold it in the room, both at CBS studios and, uh, and at Showtime to David Nevins at the time. And, uh, and, uh, and Nancy Josephson, our, our agent, uh, said, that's it, boys. It's a sale. Let's get out of here before they change their minds. And Nina and I were sort of shell-shocked. We, we kind of walked out of Showtime, not quite believing it to be so. And in fact, I think, Nina, you held off telling your, your mum, didn't you, until 
Until, oh, I didn't want to tell anyone. Yeah, I, I, we. You know, it, I had, it seems I had been burned quite a bit. Yeah. Yes, of course. As have we all. Uh, yeah. And I and I never thought things you know could be that easy. And of course, they were never to be that easy again. Uh, <laughs> but it was yeah. It was a, it was a wonderful moment in both of our lives. So you hadn't. You were. It was just a pitch at that point, or had you written the script? Just a pitch. Just a pitch. And really the pitch consisted of Mina bringing in uh, a bunch of glossies, sort of uh, uh, print advertisements from his time on the show. Yeah. And uh, he was sort of there with his, you know, very matinee idle grin al alongside a guy in a headdress and uh, sort of a, a Muslim woman. And the whole thing just looked very, you know, Arabian and exotic and hilarious. And we I mean, it's exactly what you would think it is. It's yes. exactly what you would think it is. Yes. Yeah. Sort of brash and glossy and just very foreign. And, mm -hmm. um, and essentially we, we really sort of sold it off the paces of that, I think. And just a little <laughs> bit of chat of chat about me and his actual experience, you know, being a talk show host uh, in, in the Middle East. Um, yeah. And then we, we went off and, and wrote the script and paid some bills. It was lovely. It was a great time. Um, and did you, what are the things that I loved when, when I first read the script, when I got to on the page one, where you thank you know our musical guest Yola Tango, <laughs> my favorite thing. I, I was I I was sold just from from that. It's just so unexpected and perfect. But but you when you say Mina, oh, it's exactly what you would think it would be. I'll have to mm -hmm. admit, I don't really have much of any kind of uh, vision in my head of what uh, Lebanese, you know, what what something on Abu Dhabi one a talk show would be like at all. Um, well, it's a lot of purple. Purple was huge. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a lot of a lot of neon, you know, a lot of kind of the lighting that you would have used on a talk show in the early 90s in the States. That's really what it was. Um, but but it did translate. I mean, you know, for me, I was so happy to even just shoot three or four of these things. When when it went to number one, it was almost like 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 again the kind of like the scenes in the episode in in the in the pilot where uh, you know you, you see your face on a in a train on the side of the the Burj Dubai you uh you know you're on magazine covers you're walking through hotels in 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 Abu Dhabi and you're on the magazine cover and it's like kind of it was a very very surreal experience as surreal as you know, young, you know, pop people that were famous when they were young, you know, like as pop stars, they always tell you how, how wild it was. It was like that. It, like it didn't make sense and it definitely didn't feel normal. Um, and it wasn't my idea of what fame was, obviously, because, you know, growing up in America, you think fame is a very kind of different thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a very, very surreal experience. And, and it, it, like I said, you know, you, if it, it's exactly how you'd imagine in that it was really, really flashy and overdone but effective. And what were your monologues when you say you were doing monologues? You're one of yes. several hosts, but yeah. But, yeah. but were you doing a Carson style monologue? That's exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, that was kind of my push. I was like, look, you know, we can we can do commentary here and we can talk about the culture and kind of and just poke fun without being offensive. But they really limited it in such a way that you couldn't really poke fun at anything. You can only make comments. Um, and it was it was a little dry and a little stale. But that's, you know, 
that's kind of what people wanted. And they were really just happy to get some, um, I don't know. They weren't looking for my Western perspective. Should I put it that way? I think that's really what was going on. They weren't really interested in, in our Western, my Western perspective. They were more, more interested in me making fun of how uh, embarrassing it is to, you know, uh, you know, date in a culture that doesn't celebrate dating, you know, like that, that those kinds of things or, or meeting someone or being forced to marry them, which is very typical uh, in the, particularly in the Gulf, if not in all of the Arab, Arab world. So, um, you know, that, that was, that was definitely a big adjustment, but you know, I, uh, I did my best with what I had and I think the results were good. I mean, they kept me on for the span of the show. Right. Uh, and did yeah. you, did you get in trouble? ever uh yes well two or three times uh and it wasn't really super specific about you know um something i was saying it was more about even touching on certain things so they were like you know why did you make this joke political you could have made it about this and i would say well i just wanted it to be funny um unfortunately that that wasn't really the priority for them they remember all of these networks in that part of the world are run by monarchies um abu dhabi one is a nationalized station it's not like a, a business it's it's something that's owned by the government and it's subsidized by the government and it is the main network of entertainment and news for that region so to go on there with a guy who essentially is an american and making comments and and kind of some slight digs about the culture wasn't really received well by the production team the audience didn't seem to mind but but the the people producing you know obviously they didn't want to step on any toes because those toes are very sensitive over there right and ed did you uh, did you watch tapes of this show even though you don't speak the language did you watch it? yeah there was a particular clip uh mina <laughs> bringing this up but i think didn't you have to you dressed as a chicken mina or was yes it yes cow? absolutely yes, one of many, many animals what are many barnyard animals. animals that mina uh, gives uh, to use acting <laughs> parlance um yeah it, there, there was there was a there was always sort of a skit at the end of each episode right and uh, right. you guys all had to participate in it and i did see yeah i did see a very funny uh well i was always asked to do the things that the other hosts didn't want to do you know the other respectable scholarly hosts were not willing to do and it didn't matter um, to you because you you know you didn't live there i suppose and and you love dressing up as a chicken anyway <laughs> as always <laughs> nothing has changed nothing has changed uh, but no i mean for me I, again you know when, when you're when you're a comedian in, in in new york you're so happy to have any job oh, yes of course so i wasn't really stepping on dignity does not exist yeah. yeah it was not the biggest priority at that time in my early 20s obviously um and so and sometimes it was funny by the way sometimes it was really really genuinely funny sometimes it wasn't but the times it was funny it was worth it um and once you have this this thought that you're going to be this is the world of the show um how easily did the rest of of this scenario come to you uh, in terms of him now being in, in New York and, and trying to be an actor and, and all of that. And, and how much had you thought through what his journey was going to be and how much you were going to be in the past in Dubai and how much in New York? 
I mean, it, it came it came together pretty quickly. The idea of him having this old school Jewish a- agent who who was desperate for a comeback himself, Daniel, uh, and uh, and the New York setting of it. I mean, Mina had lived in New York quite recently, so he knew a lot about it. And I've always been fascinated by New York as as most immigrants, I suppose, are. Uh, and so just that 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 setting had a great romance for us. Uh, and uh, you know, we were doing it for Showtime. And they were quite specific about wanting it to be sort of quite visceral and not your typical half hour, you know, I mean, definitely a comedy drama with a lot of emphasis on the drama. And so it just seemed quite an exciting opportunity to be able to sort of use sort of parallel timelines uh, and really show American audiences a bit of what that world is like uh in the middle east uh, and you know with the monarchies being in charge of the of the tv networks and that intrigue and and we were very excited by the, at the concept of pulling both timelines through the series as a whole mm-hmm. so you sort of begin seeing hassan in the present day down on his luck and downtrodden and needing needing desperately in need of a comeback and then you see hassan you know t- t- five ten years previously in the middle east you know at the height of his career but about to throw it all away through hubris and we kind of wanted wanted those those storylines to run in in parallel so it, it it came together conceptually uh pretty fast i mean there there ended up being a couple of versions of that show in fact we we ended up selling it again about 18 months later mm-hmm. uh back to showtime uh because they in the end they wanted something that was a bit more uh, daniel centric and and at the time craig uh, was interested in attaching himself uh, to play daniel and so obviously we you know moved the the away from the jewishness slightly and uh, towards some scottishness and and it became a bit more of a family comedy it was it was a little weird i mean mina and i definitely prefer the version that you heard uh mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that's really how it all came together. The version that we read was the, the that you guys read was the one that was our dream to make. Yes, um, yes yeah, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because it sounds like you you have a a personal connection to the one we read, whereas the Broadway Danny Rose version that centers on the the agent seems like that's. More yeah, it's about the agent. You know? Yes, yeah, it's, we a were, it's a different story. I think we we you know we were very enthusiastic to give it our, our you know the, our best college try. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, uh, personally, the, the the first version was much more up our alleys. Absolutely, much more of a story we wanted to tell. And also, uh, I think psychologically, we were interested in what it's like to have been at the top and then you know, have to come down to earth and eat humble pie. But also what's wonderful about the American dream is that is the sort of multiple chances you get. I mean, uh, Mina, you, who is the, you always, there's a great quote from some, oh, Patrice O'Neill, right? Is it Patrice mm-hmm. O'Neill? Uh, who talks about fame being like a, a a cue for a roller coaster? Yes, yeah. He's like, you know, you always you always have to go back to the line, no matter how high on the roller coaster you go. Once you get off the ride, you got to go back to the line, and the line gets longer and longer as you get older. <laughs> and so that was something that we that I think really spoke to our story because the line when Hassan arrives in New York is so long. Oh, <laughs> he's, long. Not even, he's not even in the running anywhere. And no. his partner, the guy that's supposed to be advising him is, is, you know, he's a, 
you know, he's like kind of a lackey washed up drunk. So he's, it's not like he's got a great mentor either. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, there's something that was very, very enticing to Ed and I about the comeback story, the American dream, how they line up together, you know, Ed's story of coming as just like a, you know, a kind of uh, early goings writer to, to the States and, and, you know, selling his first script and, and, you know, getting linked to the biggest agency in town and building a career like that. It was so romantic watching all that unfold for Ed. And then of course he obviously went on television for many years. Um, that was kind of the, that was almost kind of the, the Hassan dream. You know, that was something that we really wanted to to put on screen and, and make it seem romantic and fun. Yeah. It was a bit of a, a combination really of both of, both of our um, uh, pr- uh, sort of preoccupations at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, both because you, you, you know, you were beginning to come off that show. I was beginning to enter my own show. You know, we were also becoming best friends. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm tearing up. Uh, and so it was, it was also a, a, an interesting form of uh, self therapy, really, to sort of talk about our situations and, and dramatize them. I mean, it was a dream job by every measure. Yeah. yeah this, this gig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to circle back around just to, to add your, beginnings but was any of the I'm, I'm the actor struggling actor part of this did a casting director ever grind on your leg ed i guess is what <laughs> i really want to know i wish um uh no gosh i don't <laughs> not this year not this year hey ho um <laughs> no i think that really just came out of just uh, almost like the fetishization of um of of, of Arabs on television at the time mm-hmm. and Hadi's spoken about this. And of course, Mina, you know, this, you know, the, the sort of parts that you would, uh, um, audition for, for, yeah. Yeah. Audition for, you know, terrorists or extremists or, you know, um, uh, you know, it was a little, probably a little objectifying. I can only imagine. Uh, so I think it was just sort of a, a comedic exaggeration of that, you know? Well, it's, you know, it's a world where you're not cast as a leading man and you're not cast as a nice guy. So right. it was a lot of like, uh, you know, B list, uh, criminals, background, bad guys, you know, he's yes. an Arab, we can throw him in the scene, you know, it's kind of like that. And then, of course, there was kind of an, a resurgence, uh, or as I should say, a surgence at the time uh, of like movie uh, films and uh, and television shows that were that did revolve around the Middle East and did revolve around Arab. Yeah, there was uh, home Homeland, right? I suppose Homeland is just you know just finishing now, but then there was also an incredible miniseries about the Husseins, and and uh, you know there was a lot of kind of. Um, interest. In- interesting, yeah, interest, uh, dramatic interest in that part of the world um but you know not always in the in the most shining light yeah right yeah mm-hmm. it seems like trying to be an actor you know when you're of arabic descent it's a lot of terrorist roles that you're fi- well, trying especially to in the mid-2000s yeah, yeah sure yeah yeah before yeah. and um and do you think daniel was do you think he's a has been or was he a, like a never was? Ah, that's interesting. You know, you know, we had talked about that, but we we thought, you know, the, the time that he was big was probably before maybe even Hassan was born, like back at, you know, White Snake, right? Like late 70s, early 80s. That's where we said maybe he had a hurrah for a couple of years. Um, and he kind of has been living off of that on rent control since. But 
uh, no, I think he's more of a never was rather than a has been, but he definitely always, always was leaning on the side of this is going to be my year. Every year is Danny Greenblatt's year. Yes. Um, no, nothing happens, but every year is his year. And, and, and that's kind of, best. yeah. Y- yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of the opposite of what our agent was, who was like a superstar genius. Um, uh, every year is Nancy's year, but she's, she's the greatest, um, at her job, but Danny was not the greatest and he didn't, ne- he never made the changes to become great. So we wanted to give him maybe a catalyst to, to really do something great, uh, using oh. Hassan as a tool. And of but, course, uh, so that, you know, the sort of the Jewish Muslim thing, which is probably, you know, looking back, maybe a slightly broad thing to play on, but we thought there could be, it could be a fun way to diffuse, uh, you know, as any of the preconceptions or the, or the casual racism that might pop into one's head at the time yeah. about Muslims. It was a very sort of uh, Islamophobic time. I mean, not that things have unfortunately changed that much, but um, you know, it seemed it, it was, was extra hot then. Yeah. yeah it and, seemed and, that we would, yeah. we would take some of the power away from it by just having them have almost a bit of a, a double act Stan, Stan and Ollie bickering, you know, no one gets offended, but everyone just hits back hard kind of relationship kind of banter. Well, we made a really, fo- uh, you know, insistent point when we were writing it that that wasn't going to be the focus. The fact that he's Jewish and he's Muslim wasn't going to be the focus. It was no. just going to show, you know, it's part of the American story, right? P- people don't get along in the Middle East. Christians and Muslims don't get along in the Middle East. But when they come here, everybody has to get along because yes. that's how the country functions. That's how it works. Um, yeah. and, and that's, you know, that's something I, I mean, from my personal experience, I really wanted to convey. And Ed also agreed that you know, having a, a Muslim actor and a Jewish agent work together and never talk about their difference in their faith is also really funny. Yes, um, apart from and, apart yeah. from just as 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 an almost schoolboyish way of cussing each other out when they're annoyed. Totally. To- oh no, it was. I mean, it was basically lined up just so we could do jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My dusky houseboy and yeah, stuff. exactly. It was all stuff like that. Um, so Ed, because. Uh, Probably a lot of people know you as an actor, but you really began as a writer. Can you talk a little bit about? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I, uh, I actually I started by doing uh, stand up in in the UK. So I I did the Cambridge Footlights uh, at university, which is a pretty well known sketch troupe over there. Um, uh, alumnus uh, alumni include uh, you know Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Emma Thompson, Sasha Baron Cohen, who's who's new Bora I just saw, which was incredibly funny. Holy shit. Um, uh, I'm just mentioning these luminaries. So you think I'm cooler. Um, but yes, yeah, so, but it's the first, working. It's, it's working. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so the first five years I, you know, tried to make it as a stand up, and cause I'd been sort of writing my own material at Cambridge and, but of course doing stand up on, you know, the English, uh, working men's club circuit is not quite the same as doing stand up in front of a bunch of uh, Cambridge students. So, uh, it was a bit of a harsh, coming down to earth. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had bit parts, uh, in some English sitcoms and I, I wrote a lot more than I performed, which was sad for me because I love performing and I especially love being part of an ensemble. Um, but writing seemed to be, um, where I was sort of making most of my money. And, uh, and when I decided to give LA a shot, uh, I thought, well, you should go with something under your arm. So I, I, um, I wrote a script about my parents' breakup, uh, a very darkly comic script, which was another form of therapy. It was a way of dealing with my sort of rage about the whole thing. And anyway, long story short, 
yeah, uh, um, WME uh, picked me up on the basis of that script. And then uh, we were very lucky to sell that script uh, to CBS and nothing ultimately happened with it. They passed on it ultimately. Um, but, but by then I had my O1 visa and I was uh, sort of beginning to edge my way out of the crippling debt I'd found, found myself in for the previous 10 years. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was, fully signed up to just try my hand at writing here and uh yeah then the 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 mindy project was just a very unexpected but hugely welcome um uh shift in my fortunes i suppose um but i was very keen uh to keep on developing and i think we weren't allowed to develop in our first year at mindy but i think year two which is when arab spring came along we were and um and Mina and I, you know, we share a huge love of, um, you know, Larry Sanders and and Seinfeld and Curb and Arrested Development was one of our favorites at the time. And, you know, a lot of our, you know, early friendship was forged, you know, smoking medicinal marijuana and, and watching uh, classic comedies. Uh, and so, yeah, we'd all, and we shared a love for sort of vintage showbiz. And uh, yeah, as soon as we were able, as soon as I was contractually able, uh, we we started sort of hatching a plot to, um, to write something. Okay. Um, and how did you, how did you, meet the two of you oh that's a good question <laughs> go ahead ed <laughs> it was the morning that i'd been signed by wme and i'd been out the night before at one of these sort of house parties that it's a very la thing but you know you you pile up to after a club or something and nothing really ever good happens at an la house party you know after <laughs> 2 a.m uh so it had been somewhat debauched and i think skinny dipping had been involved and uh and i had this meeting at wme the next morning where essentially they said we love your script and we also enjoy you as an actor and that accent can't be real. You must be putting it on. Uh, oh, you're not. We'll sign you. And, uh, and it was really bewildering because I hadn't expected things to happen at all, especially that quickly. Uh, and, you know, if, you've, if you believe that maybe you're never going to find success in something and then you sort of begin to there's the chance that maybe the success will come along it's almost as much of an affront to your sense of identity as it is to never be successful so i was a bit sort of winded by it and of course the hangover didn't help um uh, i had a friend maria at the time who um uh, who was uh, living here and i was sort of couch surfing uh, at her pleasure uh not in a genie the agent way it was, it was <laughs> no exchange of no exchange of personal services but she texted to say oh i'm hanging out with my dear friend mina uh on abbot kinney uh in venice come and hang out and you know i i, I sounded lovely so i i taxied over and uh, there was this uh just tall handsome skinny just very charming uh, man, uh, you know, very handsome. And then behind him was Mina. I am um, so shameless. You do I'm, write jokes. You, you write do jokes have done them sometimes. You have made I appreciate those. Uh, and he could tell that I was hungover and he was like, oh, let's get you a coffee. Let's get you a coffee. And he was so kind of wiry and just hilarious and so kind. And true to his word, he, he got, 
bought me the best coffee I'd ever tasted. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and at some point, our mutual friend Maria just sort of vanished. <laughs> sort of dissolved. Well, she basically, she basically saw us hitting it off and was like, "Let's leave these two queens to have these a ball." Two love her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She saw the, the 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 love affair that was beginning, and then yeah, and then we and, you, and then we went to a, a medicinal uh, weed store, and I had the the most incredible joint I've ever smoked in my in my days. <laughs> It's like, who is this, this sort of magical elf, this like tall, <laughs> handsome, angular, bearded, dusky elf. I mean, he's so handsome and so kind. And then you took me to your friend's house on the beach and we ordered uh, Chinese, Chinese food, food yeah. and drank strawberry margaritas <laughs> as the sun came down. It, it was kind of a dream. Yeah. It among another a bunch of equally charming sort of Egyptian chaps. And I just thought, oh my God, I found my tribe. Yeah. It was, <laughs> Life is going to be wonderful yeah. from now on. It was amazing. It was and serendipity then, West. Yeah. It yeah. really was. And then, um, and then after that, of course, I, you know, we didn't exchange numbers or anything because I didn't want to seem too forward. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, I just, how do I get in touch with this guardian angel of mine? I, I want a great coffee again, please. And some Chinese food by the beach. And I ended up sort of friend requesting somebody who I thought we had the same mutual friends on Facebook called Mina, who was looked a bit like Mina and, I sort of messaged him, hey man, how are you? And he was like, oh, really good, thank you. And then it turns out, but that wasn't even this Mina. Not that even close. Another Not Mina I had cold friendship requested. He just thought, I guess he just thought, well, I'm now I'm having a chat with a guy called Ed. Uh, and it wasn't until six months later that I managed to find the real Mina. And then we just picked it up as if those six months hadn't gone by. And and we're both only children. And the third, we, we're sort of a trio of best friends. There's another guy that Mina sort of, um, has known for years and years. You met in a Coptic church, I believe, uh, who yeah, is that's true. also Egyptian stroke American, also an only child. So the three of us uh, have just become best friends and I'm best friends with our wives and I'm uncle to their kids. And so, yeah, we're, we're essentially brothers, uh, which is, uh, yeah. And then from, from my side, you know, I, I had never, ever imagined that I would ever get to the point where I would know how to write a script or, or, you know, dictate a comedy like that. You know, I knew how to write jokes from stand-up, but that's obviously a totally different toolbox. And so Ed, uh, Ed was kind of, uh, just be working so successfully as a writer and, and, you know, he knew all the fundamentals and he knew that, um, that, you know, I didn't know how to turn a joke. And he really, truly became fascinated with my story, the story that I just, you know, kind of hand, handed to you guys about, you know, how, how I got to the show and all that. And we just started writing buddy comedies because we liked the idea of a, of a show about two friends. And Ed, you know, undeniably, when I met him, sure, he was in pieces the day I met him. But soon after that, you know, I so slowly discovered the truth that, you know, many of his friends have relayed to me is that this is one of the most talented guys we've ever met. And he is uh, inc incredibly, you know, uh, charming uh, in, in a slightly feminine way, uh, more than slightly. <laughs> nothing wrong with uh, that. Nothing, is nothing wrong with that. And, you know, honestly, I, I was shocked I'm not one that works well in a team, you know? So I was shocked at how comfortable it was when we started writing the, the Island comedy and it just felt very kind of organic. 
And then the way this this TV show, the, the, the Arab Spring thing kind of fell in our lap also felt organic. So it always felt like we were kind of going down this road together that was you know, going to be lined with gold kind of thing. Yes, yes. It was, um, it was, it was serendipity from the off, wasn't it? Even es- especially, yeah, especially in the beginning. I mean, it was it was so effortless and so comfortable. And we liked the same TV and we had the same kind of goofy sense of humor and we loved the classics. And we kind of had a lot of, um, a lot of nights of trying to figure out what we could write. And then it kind of came to us and it just kind of, uh, the kind of snowballed. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're very lucky. And is that how it's happened? Cause you've written a few things together and is it, is it those kind of just late night sessions of batting ideas around that all of the scripts have come out of? Since then, it has been awful. It's been much harder <laughs> and not enjoyable. Uh, well, that was actually the, that was the last thing we actually fully wrote together until this year we've been pitching again. But yeah. uh, our, you know, our paths diverged slightly uh, in term- mm-hmm. professionally uh, and also personally. Mina, you know, has a family and, uh, um, uh, you know, is, is his, his work has broadened out from just showbiz. Uh, mm-hmm. So it took a second to find something that we... Uh, we're both in love with again, which has happened this year, which has been really, really fun. Uh, but we we have a, an idea for a movie, which we're about to to kick off on, and so I definitely think this has been a bit of a, a renaissance uh, in our in our professional partnership. I mean, we've been it's been extremely we've been best, reviving. Best, we've yeah. been best friends the whole time. I mean, I I actually m- married him. <laughs> no, it's not what you think. No, it's not uh, what you think. He I was his husband. I was his yeah. husband. No, that's not what you think. I was his groom. It was. It was. It had been consummated. No, it's not what you think. <laughs> I officiated. I officiated. Yeah, he officiated. Uh, heterosexual yeah. wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Ed, you are you are quite promiscuous when it comes to writing partners. Oh, I'm a slut. I love it. Oh, totally. I love, um, but only the best, tapes, only the, the best, the curves of people's different minds. <laughs> and mm. how, because it's not, it's fairly unusual to do what you do, which is, you know, write with a bunch of different people at different times. And, um, and, you know, how has that kind of worked? Um, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've seen, uh, dear friends who have been in writing partnerships for many years and i've seen how testy it can get because it's a little like a marriage i'm sure which is also something i have zero uh experience in or really (laughs) interest in quite frankly i've always been a bit of a lone ranger and so uh to be able to sort of switch it up because also you know writing is it's 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 not just work is it it's it's very sociable and it's a lot of working out what each other how, how each other you know, ticks and, and share spilling dark, shameful secrets from one's youth. And that I, I love getting into those kind of chats with dear friends anyway. And so if I can combine that with um, doing some work and uh, it, it's, I, I love it. And, uh, uh, and it's, I've been very fortunate. I've managed to sell projects with pretty much all of the people I've attempted to write with. Uh, and so, yeah, it just, it works, it works for me. And it, it never gets to the stage where it's been, 
you know, 10 years of slogging and you're beginning to snip at each other and, and uh, you know, you're spending more time with each other as a percentage of your life than you are with your actual wife or, or partner or family. And again, like, you know, I Godspeed to, to those people and that's um, amazing. But I've, I've always been, uh, you know, I've always been a bit of a, bit of a wisp. Uh, and so, um, yeah, that's just, that just is what keeps me sane, I think. Um, and, and you said, I think you told me that you've sold something in the UK. Um, oh, yes, yes. Just recently. Yes. So, have, and I forget, you know, I know you were on staff of, of a show in the UK. Have you developed shows in, in the UK? So I, yes, I, um, I sold, I sold one script with my comedy partner at the time, one of my thousands. Uh, and, uh, but that was just before I came out to America and then, uh, nothing came of that. It's a little more frustrating in the UK because, uh, a, you know, you don't get paid as much, uh, obviously, because it's a lot of the, 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 the price, the fees are set by the BBC, which is a public broadcaster, not dissimilar, I suppose, to Abu Dhabi one, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> structurally, at least, um, the queen is also the head of the BBC. She, <laughs> she insists on uh, doing the news, uh, every week. She, she picks all the shows. She picks all the shows. She does the weather sometimes, uh, <laughs> she's feeling outdoorsy. Um, and but also they take they take a very long time to develop so you can hand your script in and then not here for maybe six or seven months whether anything's going to happen with it uh so i think i was actually already in america when we got the pass for that script i'd sold in, around 2011 uh but this year obviously we've all been um you know working from home and I uh, got back in touch with a, a, a dear old English uh, former collaborator, and uh, yeah, we have um, we have a comedy drama set uh, on the Costa del Sol in Spain, which we're very excited by. Which we're um, yeah, we're in negotiations right now with a buyer. Um, so yeah, that's exciting. Um, yeah, I'm always curious about the different. You know, I've never done a show over there and the differences and how it all. Well, I, I mean, yeah, the start, the, the staffing that I did that you mentioned was on a show that our mutual friend Adam Chase uh, was was running over there around 2008 called Clone, which was sort of a sci-fi comedy, um, which starred a Jonathan Price legend. Uh, and so actually, I a, a lot of what I learned about writing that Mina very flatteringly says I taught him was just from observing uh, Adam and, and seeing how he sort of broke stories and broke episodes and, you know, the beat by beat and putting it all up on the board and we had some uh we had uh, alexa young who of course another mutual friends another friends uh, alum and maggie bander who had just was about to go on to community uh were also on the staff so that was incredible sort of learning right. process. so it's an unusual thing because you're you're working on a a uk show that's being run by americans in an american writer's room yes exactly because that's not normally how england maybe th these days that does happen more because everything's getting more international but back in the day you know one writer or, or a write, writing team would be you know they would create the show and they would write all six episodes right. of the season and that would be that um so yeah it was it was kind of eye-opening uh so just to start to close up here i'm curious what you both thought hearing this script after all these years finally read out loud Oh, oh man, it was, uh, it was, we were in history. We had, we obviously had to mute ourselves, but we were just crying with this. I mean, you know, like, like anything, story. I'm sure, I'm sure it's the same for you, uh, Andrew, you know, sometimes when you hear something you wrote out loud, you're, you kind of cringe a little, you feel uncomfortable. 
but having it read by uh, you know such talented people and you know everybody was in such a great mood with well, especially it some of the some of the the sex scene stuff which was a lot more <laughs> lot more pornographic when Mina first wrote it when he insisted <laughs> Oh, I see. I see. On the, uh, on the it was erotic. totally one-sided, guys. It was all totally the Definitely yeah. not me. Um, no, but and 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 uh, actually, I couldn't believe. I mean, everybody was brilliant, but just um, watching and listening to Hadi, uh, yeah. who plays uh, Hassan, uh, and just he's just. I mean, he kind of looks a bit like Mina, and just. Right. I mean, we we were so happy because he just acted the shit out of it. You know, excuse my um, excuse my French, but he was um. Yeah, he was just remarkable, and uh, yeah, I mean the whole the whole gang. We we were we were hooting, weren't we, Mina? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, for for me, it was obviously very very full circle to to see it read out loud by real talents, and you know, it, it, I'm a part of me felt like I was watching my own experience, you know, to some yeah. regard, and then also, you know, it was like this thing was kind of coming to fruition in some level, so it was very gratifying. You know, I'm very grateful that uh, you chose it, Andrew. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew, and yeah. and great, uh, great stage directions as well. Oh, <laughs> well done, well done. Methodical, well paced, clinical, clinical. <laughs> uh, uh, other than my vowel sounds, and I will say, I was just watching some of the Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, table read, uh, the reunion, yeah, with um, Morgan Freeman reading the stage directions, and I'm just going to say, I'm better than Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> You've been waiting to say I'm that for years. I'm yeah. going to say it too. It's yeah. just fact. It's just fact. I'm sorry. You know, not yeah. to take anything well, away from him as an actor, but, uh, you know, that's just. But you're better. You're better as all you better. Better. But, but retire. Retire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the two of us get, you know, we're up for so many of the same parts anyway. <laughs> He's probably um, sick of you by now, Andrew. Yeah. Just sick of sitting in those waiting rooms and casting with me. We've run out of things to say to each other. Uh, <laughs> Well, it, it was great. Um, I, I, I loved that, you know, you, you brought in uh, a lot of those, those actors, um, mm -hmm. you know, who I didn't know, Hadi, I didn't know, and Akash, who I thought oh, was Akash was so Well, great. you know, I should, I should mention that, you know, when, when we wrote Ayub, um, imagined. Yeah, I was I was directing a, a web series that him and my wife were in. It was called Top Guys. And I saw this guy, you know, at, be himself in these sketches. And I remember telling Ed, I want to write a character in this guy's voice. This is how this guy talks. And he and he's, you know, he's Indian American. He's from Texas. It's re really weird to see that <laughs> sound coming out of that face. Uh, but. Uh, when I did the rendition for Ed, he was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly how he has to sound. And now, you know, uh, some 10 years later, Akash was reading it. And he I mean, needless to say, he nailed it. He uh, nailed his uh, own role. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, terrific. other other moments where I might have kind of thought, oh, gosh, that's a, is that a little off color? I'm not sure. Just mm -hmm. coming out of Akash's mouth. <laughs> all was forgiven i was like everything I works hear, i can hear him say the most offensive most unenlightened shit and i will i will <laughs> bathe in it it's so <laughs> he just it was so funny and so committed uh he was yeah yeah really great sublime yeah uh, well, it was really fun. I, I I loved hearing it, and uh, thank you for letting us read it. And uh, it's great getting to talk to you guys. Thank I you so agree. much, Andrew. Yeah, we appreciate so it. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's been a been a pleasure. Well, cheers. 
That is our show for this month. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. So follow us on social media to find out about upcoming shows. We are on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. We're also on that other one. You could find us if you try. All right, everybody. Stay safe out there. Thanksgiving's coming up. Find a way to help someone. Be nice to yourself. Do not worry if you're not just killing it right now. It's a weird time. Wear your mask and we will get through this. Till next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>